feeling anxious? Well, in today's world, you're not alone, but you can overcome it, and we'll find out how on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sanders, and want to thank you for making us part of your day, wherever you are and wherever you might be listening to us. We also want to remind you that if you like what you hear and want to add more positivity to your day, you can do that anytime by visiting our website, livehappy.com, or picking up the latest issue of Live Happy magazine at your favorite local newsstand or bookstore. This week, we're talking with Andrea Peterson, a science and health reporter whose new book, On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety, gives her honest and heartfelt account of living with anxiety and how she learned to come to terms with it. Uh, Her book takes readers on a journey that goes from psychiatrist offices to yoga retreats and even the Appalachian Trail. But it also looks at the biology of anxiety, the groundbreaking research that's being done on anxiety, and what role genetics and your environment plays on mental illness. Our J.R. Houston talked with her about her book and her struggles to overcome anxiety. Well, Andrea, I'm, I'm very happy to have you on the program and talking about anxiety because I, I know firsthand some folks that, that struggle with this and have gone through hell and back trying to uh, remedy this or, or to treat it. And then they don't know if, they, if it's a bad problem. They don't know if it's just a small thing that they can overcome. How would you say you know when your anxiety has become a real problem? First, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, and Absolutely. I'm really glad you're tackling this topic. Yes, yeah, so anxiety is a normal human emotion. Mm-hmm. We all feel it from time to time, and actually a certain amount of it actually is a good thing, and it can motivate us to study for tests or prepare for presentations or for retirement or go to the doctor if we're not feeling well. It becomes a disorder when it impairs your life. It, it interferes with your work and your relationships, and that's really sort of the critical moment when people should be prompted to, to seek treatment is when it starts preventing them from doing the things that they want to do when they want to do it. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health issue, and they can take many different forms. Um, Some people suffer from social anxiety disorder, which is having a a difficult time in social situations. You know, I have struggled with panic attacks for for the last 25 years, and those are these, you know, very abrupt, intense physical symptoms, shortness of breath, racing heart, and kind of overwhelming terror that you're about to die. Hmm. I'm glad you described it because I'm, I fortunately am not someone who has ever really suffered that thing. And I think it's difficult for people who haven't gone through it to, to understand. I mean, I can picture certain older members of my family going, ah, but just get over it. You got nothing to worry right. about. And that right. doesn't work. Right. right. And then another common manifestation is, and I think a lot of what a lot of people think of when they think of anxiety is, Um, You know, generalized anxiety, which is really about worry, you know, sort of this cognitive worrying about something terrible happening. 
Yeah. And, you know, the definition of anxiety, actually, that, that um, sort of resonates most with me is, is uh, a neuroscientist at the National Institute of Mental Health told me anxiety is the anticipation of pain. Mm. It could be mental pain. It could be physical pain. And um, it's really sort of this, you know, what if, what if, could, what if, um, and the sort of uneasiness about an uncertain future. I think we can all probably relate to that. I mean, I think everyone sort of felt that at one, one point, of, point of time or another. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think maybe that it, it might be helpful and harmful in a way, because you're right, we all have experienced that, that anxiety over the future or over a certain situation. And then for the most part, people kind of, okay, you figure it out or you, or you put it out of your mind and you, get, you do get over it. But for some folks, you, you can't control it. It keeps coming. It keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. Uh, I know a relative of mine who does suffer from an anxiety disorder. He says, I just have these horrible thoughts and I can't stop myself from having them. And then it just compounds upon itself and makes it worse. Right. And but I think people might be that it is very, very common um, mm-hmm. you know, having actually an anxiety disorder. You know, the statistics are pretty staggering. You know, one in three Americans will have an anxiety disorder at some point during their lifetime, and 40% of women. And in, in each year, about 40 million Americans do suffer from an anxiety disorder. So even if you don't suffer from serious anxiety, someone you love is bound to. So this oh, yeah. is not, we're not talking about a, a very rare occurrence here. This is very common. It's more common than depression and other and other um, mental health issues. And, and it's also the one that kind of that starts the earliest, that uh, you know, anxiety disorders are often, often begin in childhood. What were the numbers again? What percentage of people suffer from the anxiety disorders? About one in three will suffer from an anxiety disorder at some point during their lifetime, and 40% yeah. of women. These are big numbers. Yeah, those are huge numbers. What makes someone at risk for, for an anxiety disorder other than apparently being human? Right, right. So, you know, genetics are one hmm. about, uh, you know, that, that is about 30 to 40 percent of sort of the individual differences of sort of anxiety is are based on genes. So that is definitely part of it. Also, I mean, things like trauma during childhood, actually having a um, uh, asthma or respiratory issue as a child is a risk factor for anxiety to, uh, for developing anxiety disorder later. Um, mm. But other types of trauma as well. Um, also, certain kinds of parenting, actually overprotective and kind of controlling parenting can also contribute to anxiety as well. Being female, as I mentioned, is also a risk factor as well. Um, there's some evidence that hormonal factors may be in, in play there, that actually fluctuating levels of estrogen might make women a little bit more prone to have an anxiety disorder, but also the way boys and girls are raised in that girls are more often um, admonished to sort of be careful and where boys are more uh, likely to be encouraged to be independent. And that kind of parenting message can actually send the message to, uh, to girls, the world is a dangerous place and they can't cope on their own. And that's thought to, to fuel a propensity for anxiety. And that's kind of the area I really wanted to dive in with you is the idea of anxiety disorders within the realm of nature versus nurture. The five people that I'm talking about are, are I and, and four male relatives, and I don't have it, but the, the two others that do, it seems kind of genetic, but at the same time, I can also think of the factors that you just mentioned that could have given it to them as well. I don't want to say should people worry about having an anxiety disorder uh, if they, if there are other members of their family that have it, but it is is it something to look out for if others do? Definitely, I think I think that's something that you should, and especially for parents. I mean, I, you know, I 
as someone who has an anxiety disorder and I have a daughter and it's something that I, I mean, I try not to, um, you know, put my every, my, my daughter's every sort of emotion under a microscope. Um, right. But, but I am sort of aware that, you know, she does have a, a bit of a higher risk than the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so it's something that I, I am mindful of as she, you know, as she kind of moves through childhood. Um, and that I know because because you know, the, the, the thing about anxiety disorders and the great thing the, the the sort of uplifting message is that they're very treatable and yeah. um, there are good good treatments out there and also that research is finding that especially if you are able to catch anxiety in, at an early stage you have a much better chance of preventing it from becoming chronic and especially when you're talking about kids uh, and preventing it from sort of derailing kind of normal development. Just like with anything, uh, catching it early. I just want to point out right. that I used probably right. the worst phrase in podcasting history with, should we worry about anxiety? Come on, buddy. you got to right. do better than that. <laughs> um, you did mention the treatments, and, and this is one thing that I think it's certainly moving forward. You think back to the old days, and, and maybe that's why some, some of the folks uh, in, in my family who, who have encountered anxiety uh, disorders don't understand what to do with it. It's the old days, it was just like, well, get over it. Um, there's very little treatment. Now things are getting a lot better. Are there new things or really exciting things that you've come across as you've uh, gone through this? Yes, definitely. Oh, first of all, the, the, the two main sort of evidence-based treatments for anxiety disorders are cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a type of talk therapy where the main component of it is actually it's exposure. You actually, it's not very fun, but it's very <laughs> effective and you you gradually and systematically expose yourself to the very things that you're afraid of. So if um, you're afraid of being in social situations, you know, you would actually put yourself in those. And I actually spent time with a social anxiety group, uh, meetup group, where people were kind of doing this on their own and actually did karaoke with them, which was um, oh, quite, <laughs> quite, quite, quite fun. But, yeah, these are people who had been sort of tapping their social anxiety and putting themselves in social situations and sort of this was kind of like the – the graduation uh, um, episode was uh, was going to karaoke. Yeah, um, that's diving so, right into the deep end. Uh, it is. It is got... <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't start with that. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. Right, right. And then also cognitive restructuring, which is you know you taking that those sort of catastrophic thoughts and um, and really kind of breaking them down and uh, making yourself sort of provide evidence that they think they're not the worst thing that could possibly happen, probably won't happen. So, um, and then also SSRI medication. These are medications like Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft. Those are shown to be, in research studies, to be at least modestly effective at reducing anxiety symptoms. So those are sort of the main treatments, but there's a lot of also really new, exciting stuff on the horizon. Advances in neuroimaging and genetics are starting to unravel some of the mysteries of the anxious brain. And, and scientists are actually developing new treatments that aim to to actually correct some of the underlying um, neuro, neurobiological um, dysfunctions that are seen sort of in anxious people and some of the sort of cognitive processes. Like for example, as an anxious person, you know, I am much more, I have what's known as an attention bias to threat. Uh, anxious mm. people simply see more peril in the world. So you know, that's why when my husband is being quiet, I think he's mad at me. I don't, I don't uh, immediately, I don't, I don't sort of think, oh, he's probably tired. I mean, yes, granted, sometimes he is mad at me. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, you know, you sort of sort of interpret kind of neutral situations as, as, as negative or as threatening. And so there's actually um, some researchers have developed uh, um, a, something called attention bias modification, 
which is actually usually a, a simple computer game that sort of teaches people to sort of train their attention toward neutral things in their environment as opposed to threatening things. So I can use faces, so a face that's kind of a, a scared or mad face, and then a and then a neutral face, and you're sort of directed to attend to the to the neutral face. Um, mm. So that's one thing. Also, things uh, I mean the, the kind of most sort of way out there kind of sci-fi sounding treatment is something called um, fMRI neural feedback, which is you actually are in, an, you know, you lie in an, F, in an fMRI scanner and you, you see visual representations of brain activity and you're coached on how to sort of, you know, amplify certain parts of activity in certain parts of the brain, you know, depress other activity that, that's sort of a, a correlated with anxiety. So huh. also scientists are ex- experimenting with new, with medications, some medications that actually enhance learning that, that happens during cognitive behavioral therapy. Decycloserine, which is actually normally used as an antibiotic for tuberculosis. Some researchers are finding some interesting results with that. From a simpler level, there's also people are finding ways to tweak cognitive behavioral therapy to make it more effective. For example, having your therapy appointment in the morning actually seems to make it work better. Huh. Um, and because actually you have this little surge of cortisol in the morning, which is a stress hormone, which you'd think, okay, maybe that's not great for anxiety. <laughs> but it turns out that this kind of a, a, acute, acute um, rise that you see in the morning actually helps enhance learning. Um, other researchers are actually having people take a nap after therapy, and that seems to enhance the effects of therapy and actually helps consolidate the memories that you've had from your therapy appointment. So hmm. there's another researchers out in California that are doing a study having people take a run after therapy because exercise actually boosts a level of a, a protein in the brain that um, enhances learning. So there's also the, uh, things that, that we might see in, you know, down the road, but there are other things that are that, that could be implemented right away. Well, it's exciting that there's definitely progress been made in the area, and it's exciting to see that, hey, down the road, there's even more we can make, and here are some leads that we have. I think that's got to be extremely encouraging, is it not? Definitely. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is we do need new treatments. I mean, the cognitive behavioral therapy, while it is effective, it brings kind of clinically significant relief for about half of patients who try it. So there's a lot of people that still could use some help. And then also with SRI medications, about one third of people with anxiety disorders don't get relief from the current medication. So Hmm. there's obviously room for improvement. Yeah, I'd I'd imagine it's just like any type of treatment. You know, uh, certain medications don't work for everybody. Certain medications give people horrible side effects and then they don't affect anybody else. So I'd imagine the same with your physical health would also be uh, at least uh, somewhat applicable to uh, your mental health. Uh, And by the way, I got to find that computer game you were talking about because I'm probably the most guilty person in the world of my wife just sitting down and being kind of quiet and going, what's wrong? I got to stop doing that. Um, to, well, hopefully she's not too anxious. But. No, no, I no, I just I you know I want her to be happy, and then when I perceive yeah. that she's not, then I immediately assume it was me, uh, and like ninety percent of the time it is. Um, <laughs> one one thing: to what degree do you think? And and you kind of mentioned this when you mentioned uh, taking ownership of of the thoughts that that come into your mind and breaking them down. To what degree do you think the practice of mindfulness could be beneficial uh, to people who are who are suffering with uh, anxiety disorders or are uh, in the early stages of, of suffering from them? There's really exciting research looking at mindfulness and meditation practices, yoga, um, 
And, and they found that, you know, mindful practices in general are effective at easing anxiety symptoms. Um, a lot of people are actually starting, some therapists are starting to, to incorporate meditation and mindfulness in, within cognitive behavioral therapy as well. Um, yoga in particular, which is something I personally really like to do, has also been found to be at least uh, moderately effective at easing anxiety symptoms. So, so there's definitely, and you can see why this makes sense. I mean, anxiety is a future-oriented state. Mm-hmm. It's all about the, the catastrophe that could happen. And where, so if you're in the moment, it's kind of the antithesis of that. You, you, if, you're, if you're really in the here and now, you can't be in this, um, you know, this, this horrible future that you're in. Right. So, so, you know, I talk to a lot of people also. So, you know, while kind of formal meditation practices and mindfulness practices, I think, are, you know, are really, uh, can be really wonderful. Um, also, just anything that can really ground you in the present moment. And I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, find that, uh, you know, taking a walk or listening to music or, you know, for me, I love baking, actually. And when I'm anxious, um, the, the, the best thing I can do really for myself is, is bake a batch of chocolate chip cookies. You know, there's something sort of about the mindlessly kind of kneading um, the dough and, and also the um, kind of instant gratification. I know, you know I, feel, I, I feel kind of in control that I, I put flour and sugar and butter and, you know, do this together, I'm going to come out with something delicious. And of course, obviously, you know, people really enjoy eating them too. So Yeah, that's uh, definitely the most tasty way to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> and extremely productive. And then, you know, then people are really happy with you. Takes care of a lot of things for you there. I really like that. Are there any other practices with people who think they might uh, be struggling with this or or are concerned about it? Anything that they can do to maybe, I don't want to say preventative, but, but to, to keep themselves on the path towards uh, controlling this? Yes, definitely. And there's a lot of, you know, quite simple sort of lifestyle practices that can help really kind of keep anxiety at bay. And these have been really helpful for me, especially when anxiety, you know, when I'm not sort of in a a kind of an anxiety spiral, but to kind of prevent me from getting there. I mean, you know, and the thing is, a lot of these things are sort of the very boring grown up things that were adult things that we're all supposed to be doing, like get enough sleep, exercise, you know, eat well. Um, but there's a lot of really uh, robust research behind it. Sleep in particular, you know, insufficient sleep um, has been found to really fuel anxiety. And mm-hmm. there's some evidence that um, lack of sleep actually weakens connections between um, the amygdala, which is, is, which is the part of the brain that's been called the fear center and um, that kind of detects and responds to threat, and the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that kind of, um, you know, uh, puts a break on the amygdala and sort of and, and puts kind of, it kind of kind of dampens anxiety. And um, so, so, so sleep is, is really important. And also exercise. Um, exercise boosts a protein called BDNF that's important for maintaining mood, and that seems to be depressed in people with, um, that have anxiety problems. Also, you know, things like, um, you know, I mentioned the sort of anything to kind of, kind of ground yourself in the present moment, um, but also, you know, also getting out in nature is really, this has been found to reduce anxiety. Um, these researchers out in California had two groups of people take a 50-minute walk, one through a, a grassy park, the other near a busy street. And what they found is that after this, after this walk, that those who had taken the walk in a, in, you know, in the grassy park had much um, uh, lower feelings of anxiety than those who didn't, which, you know, you can see that that, that kind of makes sort of intuitive sense that that would, that would kind of ease your mind. So, yeah, um, yeah so, so, this, so definitely all those sort of lifestyle practices are, are really, really important. 
Yeah, and it certainly stands to reason. You know, we always talk about the happiness index, and you, every year, oh, these are the 20 happiest cities. And you look at them, and they're all near the mountains, or they're Honolulu, or they've got lakes, or they've got <laughs> right. you know, all these wonderful uh, outdoor activities that you can do. So, yeah, it, it certainly uh, certainly stands to reason. Well, Andrea, I, I hate to do this, but we are out of time. Uh, the book, again, uh, on Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety uh, is is available. It's uh, You can find out more by going to livehappynow.com. Uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface on this. There's so much more that we could dive into, and uh, hopefully we can do that uh, again uh, in the near future. That would be great. Thanks so much. If you'd like to learn more about Andrea's book, On Edge, A Journey Through Anxiety, you can visit us at livehappynow.com. And while you're online, let us know what you thought of this podcast. You can do that on Twitter at livehappy or on facebook.com slash livehappy or email us at podcast at livehappy.com. And that's all we have for you today. So until next time, this is Jeff Sanders wishing you a great day and hoping that you remember every day to live happy.